Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church podcast. We are currently in the series, Flaw Faith, a delightful series on how not to be. We hope it's a blessing. Good morning and welcome back to Blah Faith. It is good to see you. I also want to welcome all those who may be watching online. Thank you for joining us. We're in this series called Blah Faith and I'm really excited about what I have the chance to share today. And I'm grateful to be back at Valley Point and really excited about teaching again. You were missed while I was away, but again, looking forward to this morning. I do want to thank Gus and Dan, who taught the first two weeks of the month. They did a fantastic job, so will you help me thank them? <laughs> also want to thank Dr. Modica from Eastern University, who taught last week as well. It does feel good to be back up here teaching again. And how about this number 19? Can we thank God for that? All right, so we've made it into the teens, and for those of you who are brand new, you need to know that number represents the amount of Sundays we have left meeting here in the middle school before we move into our future real home, which is less than a mile from here down Bethel Road. So we're very excited about that. I remember when we first started that, I think we were in the 38, 37 week amount there, and so it's been fun to watch that dwindle all the way down into the teens. It's very encouraging and continue to pray for that timeline. I had a chance to walk through the building this week. Really exciting what's happening on the inside. There's walls up so you can kind of see where we're going to meet and where we'll gather and where people will get their coffee and where they will spill their coffee and all of that is taking place and it's just really fun to see. So continue to pray for our whole construction process and our remaining 19 weeks. We have some very fun days in front of us, and we're working on some of those plans now as we begin to transition from here to there. It's going to be a great season for us. So I shared last week that I had some vacation pictures that I wanted to share with you, and I know you guys love when I go away on my vacations and I come back and I spoil you with my pictures You love that, right? (laughs) Of course you do. So I'm going to share some pictures with you, whether you like it or not. Here's my kids and what we call the Ohio cousins. So Tanya's mom and stepdad live in Toledo, Ohio, and we had the chance to spend some time with the cousins. They have 15 grandchildren. Not all of them are here. I had a couple of our, my older kids who were at home working making money and saving for college, which is a really good thing. So while we were sad that they weren't with us, we're thankful that they're being productive. But these are the Ohio cousins, and we had a great time there. We stayed up too late, ate ice cream, swam, played. It was just a lot of fun and really enjoyable to see the cousins connect again. Then we went to Illinois. This is where my family lives. That's my mom and dad in the middle. Isn't my mom a really happy person? She is funny. She really is. My mom and dad have 18 grandchildren, and not all of them are pictured here, but most of them. And again, it was just fun to see all of the cousins connect in Illinois, and we stayed up too late there and played and had a lot of fun as well, and very rewarding to see all of the cousins connect. 
So special treat today, my brother Joshua and his wife, Abby, from Illinois, are actually with us. And so they loved us so much, they returned and have been hanging out with us a little bit longer. So will you welcome them to Valley Point? Can you do that? (laughs) So after Ohio and Illinois, we needed to break from all of the family. We, We really did. So we just took our kids and we went to Ocean City, New Jersey. There's Kaylee in the sand. And then there's Caden. Isn't that a great picture? I love that picture. That's my Caden. We're just hanging out on the beach. Perhaps my favorite vacation picture, though, is my 16-year-old son Chandler saying, why do we have to take so many pictures all of the time? So those are my vacation pictures. I have many more, but I will not take time to share them with you. We had a great time. It was fun to be away But I said this last week, I really do miss being here. We miss being here. This is home. And so it feels great to be back. And I am looking forward to jumping back into Blah Faith with you this morning. So before we do that, let's just take a moment, clear our minds, and bow our heads, and pray that God really speaks to us. Father, we are grateful for this Sunday where we have another chance as a faith community to gather and to lift our voices in song to you, to say that there's no one else but you. God, I do pray that these would be more than words we sing, but it would be our heart's cry. May it be our anthem today. We need to find ourselves in you. We're going to think through this with our content. And so I pray that you give us soft hearts. God, help us to push out all of the things that may be happening this week, summer plans, future vacations, food, whatever it is. God, help us just to really concentrate for just a few moments on what you want to whisper into our hearts. God, give us a great morning, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read a couple of verses here that I think are absolutely essential to understanding how we can overcome blah faith. These are critical verses in Scripture, so I'm really excited to share them with you today. Probably the best way to find 1 Peter is if you open your Bible to the back and you begin turning to the left, what you'll find is the book of Revelation, and then there is the book of Jude, and then you'll bump into 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He was really excited, and so he he wrote three letters. And then after that, you'll find a couple of letters that the apostle Peter wrote. And if you'll find 1st Peter chapter 3, what we discover are two verses, verses 15 and 16, that say this. Instead, you. Now let's pause there for just a moment. Because if you go back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter, what you will find is that this book is written to believers. It's written to individuals who have trusted in Jesus alone to rescue them. It's written to people who have embraced the leadership and the forgiveness that God offers through his son Christ. And so Peter begins to write to them, Here's some things that I want for you. 
Now, if you're here and you're a believer, then you need to lean into this. You need to pay attention because this is very appropriate and applicable for us today. It really is. And I think you'll discover that as we move through our time together. If you are here and you're not so sure about Jesus, if you're wondering about who he is or you're kicking the tires of faith a little bit or maybe somebody drug you here to be with you, whatever that looks like, I'm thankful that you're here. And you need to know that Valley Point is a safe place for you to question, for you to investigate, for you to discover. And I think as we walk through our time together and look at these verses, that you're going to get an inside peek at to some of the things that Christ expects of those who follow him and those who have trusted in him. So instead, you believers, here's the deal. You must Like, this is not an option. This is essential. This is really important. You must do this. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, here's what needs to happen. Here's the responsibility. You need to always be ready to explain it. We're going to talk about that word explain in just a moment. It's a dynamic word here. And then Peter says this, do this in a gentle and respectful way. We're going to also talk about those two words. So explain and gentle and respect or respectful key words for what we're thinking through today. All right, so here's the text. You, believer, must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Here's our big idea for today. And I would encourage you to take out your talk notes, to fill in these blanks, and to write down some of the other things that I share today, as I believe it will be very helpful for you as you walk away from our time together. So here's our big idea. If you want to have blah faith, if you want that, then never defend what you believe. If you want to have blah faith, let me take you back to week one and two of our series where we kind of defined blah faith. We said blah faith is lacking in content and it's boring. And sometimes this happens to us. After we have trusted in Jesus alone to save us, our faith kind of gets pushed to the side and we get consumed with a lot of other things that are happening in life and our faith becomes a little blah. It just does. It becomes boring and lacking in meaningful content, but I am fully convinced that this is not the way Jesus wants us to live because following him, there is joy and adventure and even danger found there. So if our faith is blah, that's my issue. That's my problem. And the good news is it's fixable. It really is. And so what we've been doing over the summer is each week just rolling out a concept. Here's how you can overcome blah faith, but perhaps you want it. If you want blah faith, then never defend what you believe. Now, I want to share five quick thoughts 
Because quite honestly, I think this can be an intimidating thing when you think about defending faith, especially in the current climate of how people are responding to each other about everything seemingly. There's a lot of vitriol and angst in responses. And so when you think about defending a sensitive issue or talking about issues of faith, well, that seems like we could get into a lot of trouble. So I want to share five thoughts with you that will provide a foundation for our time together. And then I want to give you our walking path for how we will approach this, okay? So five thoughts. Thought number one says this, it seems, and these are my thoughts, You may or may not agree with them, but it seems that Christianity more and more is increasingly a target of ridicule, being mocked a bit. And maybe you have experienced that as you have talked to people or even just listened to things that are said or even not said, but I believe this to be true. Christianity is increasingly a target of ridicule. Thought number two, I believe it's going to become more challenging to say, I believe in Jesus. So I don't think that's getting easier. It's a little more challenging to say, you know what, I'm a Jesus person. That's who I am. Thought number three, Christianity is based on truth and facts that are knowable and correspond to reality. I want that one to sink in for just a moment because this is pretty crucial to all of the thoughts. Christianity is based on truth and facts that are knowable, even historical, and correspond to reality. In other words, and I want you to hear this, Christianity is not a fairy tale. It's not. Now, some people say that about Christ and about Christianity and those who follow him, but Christianity is not a fairy tale. Now, I want you to consider this for just a few moments. Everyone is entitled to their own opinion about Jesus and Christianity. Right? That's fair. Everybody is entitled to their own opinion about Christ and Christianity. But we are not entitled to our own set of facts. Facts are facts. And Christianity is based on truth claims that are compelling and can be historically proven. So that's thought number three. Just something to consider. Here's thought number four. For followers of Jesus, our ability to speak in defense of, and we'll talk a little bit more about that phrase and shape it a bit, but our ability to speak in defense of could be the very thing that helps people cross the line of faith. In other words, inserting truth into conversations in a gentle and respectful way could be the very thing that helps some people cross that line of faith and say, you know what, I get it and I think I want to chase that. Final thought. How? Okay, so there's a lot of truth that can be said. There's a lot of facts. How? (laughs) How this is given. How this is shared. How we speak in defense of is vitally important and makes what is said either believable or not. Now, let's go back to the big idea. If you want to have blah faith... Never defend what you believe. I think the question becomes, as we wrestle with this, is how? How do you do that? Because quite honestly, this sounds a bit intimidating. And I think, 
we can all come up with examples of where someone has done this with great intentions, but they have been rather obnoxious and it has really offended a lot of people and probably hurt the cause and even hurt the message and even hurt truth. It's pushed it away because of the how. So maybe we get this and we understand, okay, that makes sense, but how do you go about the process of defending faith? How? This is what I want us to consider. So here's our path for how we will make sense of the how. I want to go back and walk through a few phrases in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. And what you'll find is that there are three steps, and they're pretty simple steps actually, that are given to us about how we can walk through this. And then I want to share with you two objections to Christianity. These are objections that I hear quite a bit as I have faith conversations with people. They'll say, you know, what about this or what about that? These are probably the two most common objections that I hear. Maybe they're objections that you hear as well. I want to think and explain those objections. I want to think about them. And then here's what I want to do. I want to give some common language for how we can respond to those objections in a gentle and respectful way. Because there is some common language that we can build that I believe can move the conversation along and very well may help someone cross the line of faith. So we'll talk through those two objections and give some common language and then I'll provide some takeaways. Okay? Make sense? Everybody clear on where we're going? Great. Let's think together. If you want to present a defense of Christianity, here's step number one and I want to go back to the text where it says this, instead... You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If you'd like to highlight and underline and circle, which I would encourage you to do, that phrase, you must worship, is something you should pay attention to. It's a verb phrase that means to dedicate or to make holy or to honor as holy. So in other words, when you look at this verse, instead you must worship Christ You must dedicate, you must make holy, you must honor as holy, or you must set apart Christ as Lord of your life. It's a beautiful phrase, really a beautiful phrase that does this. It speaks to the posture of our hearts. Now, it's unique to me that in these verses that speak of giving a defense of, the very first thing that we're asked to do, the very first step that we're told to take has nothing to do with conversing with others. Nothing at all. Kind of shocking, really, because we want to put arguments together and here's this point and here's A, B, and C and here's all the applications and you need to believe this. But yet what we find when you look at First Peter is the apostle tells us It's vitally important that you consider what is on the inside first before you say anything at all. So what is the posture of your heart? Back in June, I took a Sunday to talk about the posture of our hearts during our White Napkin Sunday series. And the question I asked everybody to consider and to wrestle with is, in which direction is your heart pointed? And so let's all think about that right now. Where is your heart pointed right now? Is it pointed in God's direction? Let's think about this right now on this Sunday in July. 
Is your heart pointed in God's direction or is it pointed to you? Or to your work? Or another aspiration? Or maybe it's pointed to a big problem or a concern that you're walking through right now. And that's a big deal to you and we don't want to minimize that. But is that where your heart is pointed? Or is it pointed in God's direction? Is it dedicated to Him? Is your heart honoring God as the authority? By the way, that's what that phrase means. You must worship Christ as Lord. Basically, who's in control of your life? Is it you or is it Christ? At some point, in speaking in defense of, words are needed. And we're going to talk about words in a moment. Words are needed, but it starts here with what's happening on the inside. So I'm going to ask you to do this. Clear your mind for just a moment. Clear your mind. What's happening on the inside? As you sit here on this day, what's happening on the inside? And is your heart pointed in God's direction? If our hearts are not Our words will fall flat. That's just what's going to happen and will be seen as a fake. And that's not a good thing. Okay, step number one. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. You must dedicate, you must make holy, you must honor as holy the Lord. And so we've got to consider before any words are given, before there is an exchange, before there is a discussion and a conversation, what's happening on the inside? What's happening right here? Because if my heart is pointed in God's direction, there will be an overflow of that, which I think can take us to step number two, which let's go back to the text. It says this, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, Do this. Always be ready to explain it. So step number one. If what's happening on the inside is pointing my heart in God's direction, I think a natural overflow is that there is this insatiable hope that lives there that people will see or observe and maybe they won't be able to pinpoint it exactly, but there is the probability that someone may ask about that hope. And here's the deal. I've got to be ready to explain that. I've got to be ready to answer that. Do you see that word explain there in the verse? Again, if you like to highlight, underline, which is a good thing to do, circle that word in the context. It is the Greek word apologia, which means to speak in defense of. So if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to... Apologia. Always be ready to speak in defense of. It's where we get the word apologetics, which is the discipline of defending and justifying your beliefs. Scripture makes it pretty clear. We have to be ready to do that. Live right, point your heart in God's direction. The outflow of that is there will be this hope within us that is probably going to lead to some conversations and we have to be ready to apologia. Now, here's what apologetics is not. I want to walk through this just so that there is clarity. Apologetics is not apologizing for our faith. 
Nowhere in Scripture are we ever asked to apologize for Jesus or apologize for what we believe on the inside. We're not asked to do that. Apologetics is a proactive presentation and defense of what we believe. And when we're asked, we need to be ready to apologia. We need to be ready to explain. Now, I think some of you may be thinking, oh, well, this is where it gets a little ridiculous at times, where people wear Jesus out there on their sleeves and individuals get a little odd for God and they begin shouting and yelling and telling people that you have to believe in Jesus or here's what's going to happen to you. And we've all walked through that probably at some point. And quite honestly, that is a turn off. And I don't believe that's what God is asking for us to do at all when we think about speaking in defense of. Okay, it's not that. So if it's not that then how do we talk about this hope within us if our hearts are pointed in God's direction? Well, that's step number three. Back to the text. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Okay? I think that makes sense to all of us, doesn't it? This is the how. Make sure your heart is pointed in God's direction. There will be this hope inside of you. Be ready to explain that. Be ready to speak in defense of that. But do that in a gentle and respectful way. All faith conversations. Gentle and respectful. All right, can we just agree to that? All faith conversations. Gentle and respectful. All faith conversations, gentle and respectful. Because here's what I've discovered. Gentleness and respect are often lacking. Even from well-meaning people who love Christ, who have trusted, this gentleness and respect factor often is not there. And that is unfortunate because when there is a lack of gentleness and respect, truth claims are not heard. They're not heard. Because who wants to listen to somebody who's simply just trying to win an argument? And nobody really enjoys that anymore. Especially in the current climate and culture. It's not fun. And so all faith conversations, let's just put this into our minds as we get ready to walk out of here. When we engage and when we speak in defensive and we talk about this hope within us, gentleness and respect. So, Here is how God wants us to be. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to apologia, be ready to speak in defense of, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Now, here's what I want to do. In light of that, Step one, worship Christ, point your heart in his direction. Step two, make sure that you are speaking in defense of and an apologia is given. That's okay to do. Step three, always with gentleness and respect. With that in mind, I want to present to you two objections that I hear all of the time. And you've probably heard these as well. I want to think through them and then provide some language. And then I'll walk through some takeaways. Okay? Let's watch this video together. 
One of the objections that people raise is that Christianity is not a religion for the educated. Smart people wouldn't believe this stuff. Here's the truth. Many of the world's top past and present scholars are Christians. Consider, the origin of Christianity is recorded in the New Testament. And though the apostles originally consisted of mostly fishermen, there was one tax collector, Matthew, who left us with a gospel that displays his wisdom and literary ability. The Apostle John also left a gospel, along with three letters and the book of Revelation. Luke, an associate of the Apostle Paul, was a medical doctor turned missionary who left two of the largest and most literary writings of the New Testament, Luke and the book of Acts. Paul, the Apostle, many regard him as the primary intellectual of the New Testament period. Trained as a Jewish scholar under the famous Gamaliel, Paul held the equivalent of a doctoral degree in religion, and he used his abilities to pen many New Testament writings, including Romans, considered the most advanced theological work of the early church. And then there is Lydia, an accomplished and wealthy businesswoman who accepted what the Apostle Paul said and worshipped God. That was the choice she made. She then used her resources to help the church grow. These were smart people. Outside of those examples found in the Bible, there is Justin Martyr. He was considered one of the first Christian apologists in the early 2nd century. He used philosophy and scripture to defend against false teachings in the church. This first apology was addressed to Emperor Antoninus Pius to defend religious freedom for Christians. In the late 4th century, Church Father Jerome provided a monumental service to the church when he directed the efforts to translate the Hebrew and Greek scriptures into what became known as the Latin Vulgate. His influences in languages and literature helped provide a translation of scripture used throughout Western churches for the next, get this, 1,000 years. In 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of a church and started the Protestant Reformation, which focused on the sola scriptura, the Bible as the sole authority for the church, and sola fide, salvation by faith in Christ alone. In addition to that, he helped translate the Bible into the German language, contributing greatly to both cultural and spiritual change throughout Europe. And then there is C.S. Lewis, a former atheist, best known as the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He converted to Christianity based on evidence. The evidence to him was compelling, and he could not escape it. His book, Mere Christianity, is now classic and has been responsible for persuading many to consider the claims of Christ. Modern-day intellectuals like Gary Habermas, Ravi Zacharias, Lee Strobel, and Josh McDowell are all individuals who have presented scholarly defenses of Christianity. The truth is, Christ's love can reach all. That includes those who are educated and intellectual. I think a great response in these situations is to say, actually, some very smart people do believe, and then share an example. Follow that with, the truth is, I have considered the claims of Christianity to be credible and reasonable and relevant I would challenge you to consider the same. Will you? I think we can especially say that to our friends, 
it's not likely that our friends will say, yeah, but you're not a smart person. That's probably not going to happen. And if it does, you may need new friends. Maybe. Okay, that's objection number one. Objection number two. Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I want to become one? Seems reasonable, right? Who wants to hang out with a bunch of hypocrites? I think a solid defense of this line of thinking is to simply say, guilty as charged. You don't have to look very far to see that most Christians don't live up to the standard that Jesus set. I know I don't. But just because we see hypocritical Christ followers, it doesn't change the truth that Jesus is real and loving and offers a wonderful gift. The truth is, think about this now, God offers you Christ, not Christians. These are just two objections. There are certainly more. We have to remember, and this is so important, as we communicate, as we talk with others, we do so with gentleness and respect. I want to close our time by giving two takeaways. And the blanks are already filled in for you, so if you can just concentrate on these two takeaways as we consider moving away from blah faith by defending what we believe with gentleness and respect. Here's the first takeaway. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. I think doing this presents a believable apologetic. So if we could just get this right before any words are exchanged, if we could just zero in on the posture of my heart and what's happening on the inside, I think God would give us incredible opportunities to speak about Jesus and his love and to do that in a believable way. So right off the bat, takeaway number one, let's worship Christ as the authority, as the one who should be in control and in charge of our lives. And then secondly, Think about this. Truth is established propositionally, but it's shared relationally. Right? Truth is shared. It's explained, established propositionally, but then it's given. It's shared relationally. And I think this is where followers of Jesus have a tremendous opportunity to build integrity friendships and to be seen as individuals who are honest and caring and generous and kind. And when we live that way, when we live the way Jesus intended us to live, we have the opportunity to share truth relationally. And I think people will be willing to listen to us, especially those that we have established a great friendship with So I think it's incredible to consider that God wants to use me to share the greatest truth ever given, the truth of God's son who came and lived and died and rose again, paying the price for my sin. God wants to use me to share that truth. And I find that to be amazing because I know what I'm like and I know what I do and what I say and what I think about and how often I fail. And maybe you think the same way, but the truth is We are the messengers, and God told us to be ready to apologia, to be ready to explain. And so I think we can lean into this when we worship Christ as the Lord of our life, when our heart is pointed in his direction, and then when we explain relationally with gentleness and respect, 
in doing that, faith will not be blah. It won't be. For those that are here and maybe aren't too sure about Jesus, and you're still thinking through his claims and who he is, my challenge to you would be to continue to contemplate what Jesus did for you because he presents compelling lines of evidence. Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for another Sunday just to think about moving away from blah faith. We're having a great time this summer just considering this. God, I pray that you take this challenge, which I will admit can be a bit sensitive and difficult just because of how troubling it is to talk to people about controversial things. God, sometimes we probably shy away from that because we don't want to bother people. Yet I think there is a sense where this should be thrown upon us in a natural way when our hearts are pointed in your direction and people see that hope, ask about it and talk about it and wonder. God, would you help us not to shy away from those moments, but as they happen where we live, work, and play, starting today and this week, that we would be alerted to, oh, oh, maybe this is one of these moments right here that God is giving me where I get the chance to speak in defense of and talk about what Jesus has done for me. And God, you will use our imperfect thoughts and our words that we might not be able to package in a smooth way. God, you're going to use all of that So help us just to lay that at your feet and be willing and open to honor you as Christ and Lord to speak in defense of when the opportunities arise. And God, please, please, may Valley Point just be known as a faith community that has all of these conversations with a lot of gentleness and respect. May that mark us. And may that be how we engage with speaking of the great hope that resides within us. God, I pray now that you give me opportunities this week to speak in defense of. I pray that you give everyone here an opportunity to explain the hope that is within And God, may we be energized as we speak to each other about how you have enabled us to have these little conversations. God, we leave the results to you. We just do what you ask us to do in these moments. So help us to be ready to step into that this week. Use us knowing that when we live this way, our faith will not be blah, but there will be adventure and danger. There will be amazement and wonder in living this way. And this is what we want, and this is what we ask for now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.